Chapter twenty two of Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, November two thousand fifteen. Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume two by john hay and john george nicolay chapter twenty two the president's message less than a month intervened between the november election at which lincoln had been chosen and the annual session of congress which would meet on the first monday of december and it was necessary at once to begin the preparation of the annual message a golden opportunity presented itself to president buchanan the suffrages of his fellow-citizens had covered his political theories his party measures and his official administration with condemnation in an avalanche of ballots but the charleston conspirators had within a very few days created for him a new issue overshadowing all the questions on which he had suffered political wreck since the sixth of november the campaign of the border ruffians for the conquest of kansas and the wider congressional struggle for the possession of the territories might be treated as things of the past even had they still been pending issues they paled into insignificance before the paramount question of disunion face to face with this danger the adherents of lincoln of douglas of bell and the fraction of the president's own partisans in the free states would be compelled to postpone their discords and as one man follow the constitutional ruler in a constitutional defense of the laws the flag and the territory of the union without change of position without recantation of principle without abatement even of declared party doctrine honestly executing only the high mandate of the constitution he could turn from the old issues and take up the new a single stride and from the flying leader of a discomfited rout he might become the mailed hero of an overpowering host tradition patriotism duty the sleepless monition of a solemn official oath all summoned him to take this step and the brilliant example set by president jackson an incident forever luminous in american history assured him of the plaudits of posterity unfortunately for himself and for his country president buchanan had neither the intellectual independence nor the courage required for such an act of moral heroism of sincere patriotism and of blameless personal rectitude he had reached political eminence by slow promotion through seniority not by brilliancy of achievement he was a politician not a statesman of fair ability and great industry in his earlier life the irresolution and passiveness of advancing age and physical infirmity were now upon him though from the free state of pennsylvania he saw with southern eyes and heard with southern ears and had convinced himself that the south was acting under the impulse of resentment arising from deliberate and persistent injuries from the north the fragment of an autograph diary of john b floyd secretary of war affords the exact evidence of the temper in which president buchanan officially confronted the rebellion of the southern states the following are extracts from entries on several days beginning with november seventh eighteen sixty the day following the presidential election Quote, 
washington city november seventh eighteen sixty the president wrote me a note this evening alluding to a rumor which reached the city to the effect that an armed force had attacked and carried the forts in charleston harbor he desired me to visit him which i did and assured him that the rumor was altogether without foundation and gave it as my opinion that there was no danger of such an attempt being made we entered upon a general conversation upon the subject of disunion and discussed the probabilities of it pretty fully we concurred in the opinion that all indications from the south looked as if disunion was inevitable he said that whilst his reason told him there was great danger yet his feelings repelled the conviction of his mind judge black the attorney-general was present during a part of the conversation and indicated an opinion that any attempt at disunion by a state should be put down by all the power of the government november ninth a cabinet meeting was held as usual at one o'clock all the members were present and the president said the business of the meeting was the most important ever before the cabinet since his induction into office the question he said to be considered and discussed was as to the course the administration should advise him to pursue in relation to the threatening aspect of affairs in the south and most particularly in south carolina after a considerable amount of desultory conversation he asked the opinions of each member of the cabinet as to what should be done or said relative to a suggestion which he threw out his suggestion was that a proposition should be made for a general convention of the states as provided for under the constitution and to propose some plan of compromising the angry disputes between the north and the south he said if this were done and the north or non-slaveholding states should refuse it the south would stand justified before the whole world for refusing longer to remain in a confederacy where her rights were so shamefully violated he said he was compelled to notice at length the alarming condition of the country and that he would not shrink from the duty general cass spoke with earnestness and much feeling about the impending crisis admitted fully all the great wrongs and outrages which had been committed against the south by northern fanaticism and deplored it but he was emphatic in his condemnation of the doctrine of secession by any state from the union he doubted the efficacy of the appeal for a convention but seemed to think it might do well enough to try it he spoke warmly in favor of using force to coerce a state that attempted to secede judge black the attorney-general was emphatic in his advocacy of coercion and advocated earnestly the propriety of sending at once a strong force into the forts in charleston harbor enough to deter if possible the people from any attempt at disunion he seemed to favor the idea of an appeal for a general convention of all the states governor cobb the secretary of the treasury declared his very decided approbation of the proposition for two reasons first that it afforded the president a great opportunity for a high and statesmanlike treatment of the whole subject of agitation and the proper remedies to prevent it secondly because in his judgment the failure to procure that redress which the south would be entitled to and would demand and that failure he thought certain would tend to unite the entire south in a decided disunion movement he thought disunion inevitable and under present circumstances most desirable 
mr holt the postmaster-general thought the proposition for the convention dangerous for the reason that if the call should be made and it should fail to procure redress those states which now are opposed to secession might find themselves inclined from a feeling of honor to back the states resolving on disunion without this common demand and common failure he thought there would be no such danger of united action and therefore a stronger prospect of some future plan of reconciliation mr thompson the secretary of the interior thought well of the plan of calling for a general convention though his state mississippi was equally divided between the union and disunion men he deprecated the idea of force and said any show of it by the government would instantly make mississippi a unit in favor of disunion mr toucey secretary of the navy thought well of the appeal for the convention coincided in an opinion i had expressed that retaliatory state measures would prove most availing for bringing the northern fanatics to their senses i expressed myself decidedly opposed to any rash movement and against the idea of secession at this time i did so because i think that lincoln's administration will fail and be regarded as important for good or evil within four months of his inauguration we are to meet to-morrow at one o'clock november the first november tenth we had a cabinet meeting to-day at which the president read a very elaborate document prepared either as a part of his message or as a proclamation it was well written in the main and met with extravagant commendation from general cass governor toucey judge black cobb thompson and mr holt cobb thompson and myself found much to differ from in it cobb because it inculcated submission to lincoln's election and intimated the use of force to coerce a submission to his rule and because it reprehended the policy of the kansas nebraska bill thompson because of the doctrine of acquiescence and the hostility to the secession doctrine i objected to it because i think it misses entirely the temper of the southern people and attacks the true states rights doctrine on the subject of secession i do not see what good can come of the paper as prepared and i do see how much mischief may flow from it it is an open question whether we may accept these extracts at their full literal import either the words coerce submission use of force and so on are written down by the diarists in a sense different from that in which they were spoken or the president and several of his counsellors underwent an amazing change of sentiment but in a general way they show us that on the fourth day after lincoln's election the buchanan cabinet was already divided into hostile camps cass of michigan secretary of state toucey of connecticut secretary of the navy black of pennsylvania attorney-general and holt of kentucky postmaster-general were emphatic unionists while cobb of georgia secretary of the treasury thompson of mississippi secretary of the interior and floyd of virginia secretary of war were secessionists the latter yet professing devotion to the union but with such ifs and buts as left sufficiently clear evidence of his inevitable drift to disloyalty all impulses of prudence and patriotism ought to have moved the president to reconstruct his cabinet 
but instead of some energetic executive act of this character he seemed to have applied himself to the composition of a political essay to teach the north its duty as if his single pen had power to change the will of the people of the united states upon a point which they had decided by their votes only four days previously after six years of discussion in a draft of this document which he read to his cabinet on november the tenth we have the important record that quote, it inculcated submission to lincoln's election and intimated the use of force to coerce a submission to his rule end quote positions which floyd records were met with extravagant commendations from general cass governor toosey judge black and mr holt this was a true touchstone it instantly brought out not only the open secessionism of cobb and thompson but the disguised disloyalty of floyd it is a strange historic phenomenon that with the president and a majority of the cabinet in this frame of mind the south should have been permitted to organize rebellion the solution seems to lie in the temporizing feebleness of buchanan and in the superior finesse and daring conspiracy of cobb thompson and floyd many indications make it evident that a long factional struggle took place over the preparation of the president's message the telegraph announced several protracted cabinet sessions and as early as the twenty first of november the points under discussion and the attitude of the president and his several official advisers were accurately foreshadowed in the newspapers nor were these momentous deliberations confined to the cabinet proper all the varieties of suggestion and contradictory counsels which were solicited or tendered we may never learn and yet we know enough to infer the highest extremes and antagonisms of doctrine and policy jefferson davis the future chief of the rebellion came on the one hand at the urgent call of his fellow conspirators edward m stanton afterwards buchanan's attorney-general and lincoln's secretary of war was on the other hand called in by mr buchanan himself to help him through the intricate maze of his perplexed opinions and inclinations how many others may have come voluntarily or by summons it is impossible to guess many brains and hands however must have joined in the work since the document is such a heterogeneous medley of conflicting theories irreconcilable doctrines impracticable and irrelevant suggestions for at length the hesitating and bewildered president unable to decide and impotent to construct seems to have made his message a patchwork from the contributions of his advisers regular and irregular with the inevitable effect not to combine and strengthen but to weaken and confuse the warring thoughts and alien systems aside from the mere recapitulation of department reports the message of president buchanan delivered to congress on the fourth of december occupied itself mainly with two subjects slavery and disunion on the question of slavery it repeated the assertions and arguments of the buchanan faction of the democratic party during the late presidential campaign charging the present peril entirely upon the north as a remedy it recommended an amendment to the federal constitution expressly recognizing slavery in states which had adopted or might adopt it and also expressly giving it existence and protection in the federal territories the proposal was simply childish precisely this issue had been decided at the presidential election to do this would be to reverse the final verdict of the ballot box 
on the question of disunion or secession the message raised a vague and unwarrantable distinction between the infractions of law and allegiance by individuals and the infractions of law and allegiance by the commonwealth or body politic denominated a state under the first head it held that the union was designed to be perpetual that the federal government is invested with sovereign powers on special subjects which can only be opposed or abrogated by revolution that secession is unconstitutional and is therefore neither more nor less than revolution that the executive has no right to recognize the secession of a state that the constitution has established a perfect government in all its forms legislative executive and judicial and this government to the extent of its powers acts directly upon the individual citizen of every state and executes its own decrees by the agency of its own officers and finally that the executive cannot be absolved from his duty to execute the laws but continued the president the laws can only be executed in certain prescribed methods through the agency of courts marshals posse comitatus aided if necessary by the militia or land and naval forces the means and agencies therefore fail and the performance of this duty becomes impracticable when as in south carolina universal public sentiment has deprived him of courts marshals and posse present laws being inadequate to overcome a united opposition even in a single state congress alone has the power to decide whether it can be effectually amended it will be seen from the above summary that the whole of the president's rambling discussion of this first head of the disunion question resulted logically in three ultimate conclusions one that south carolina was in revolt two that the constitution the laws and moral obligation all united gave the government the right to suppress this revolt by executing the laws upon and against the citizens of that state three that certain defects in the laws paralyzed their practical enforcement up to this point in his argument his opinions whatever may be thought of their soundness were confined to the legitimate field of executive interpretation and such as in this exercise of his official discretion he might with undoubted propriety communicate to congress but he had apparently failed to satisfy his own conscience in thus summarily reasoning the executive and governmental power of a young compact vigorous and thoroughly organized nation of thirty-five millions of people into sheer nothingness and impotence how supremely absurd was the whole national panoply of commerce credit coinage treaty power judiciary taxation militia army and navy and federal fag if through the mere joint of a defective law the hollow reed of a secession ordinance could inflict a fatal wound the president proceeds therefore to discuss the second head of the disunion question by an attempt to formulate and define the powers and duties of congress with reference to the threatened rebellion he would not only roll the burden from his own shoulders upon the national legislature but he would by volunteer advice instruct that body how it must be borne and disposed of addressing congress he says in substance quote, you may be called upon to decide the momentous question whether you possess the power by force of arms to compel a state to remain in the union the question fairly stated is has the constitution delegated to congress the power to coerce a state into submission which is attempting to withdraw or has actually withdrawn from the confederacy 
if answered in the affirmative it must be on the principle that the power has been conferred upon congress to declare and make war against a state after much serious reflection i have arrived at the conclusion that no such power has been delegated to congress or to any other department of the federal government it may be safely asserted that the power to make war against a state is at variance with the whole spirit and intent of the constitution but if we possess this power would it be wise to exercise it under existing circumstances our union rests upon public opinion and can never be cemented by the blood of its citizens shed in civil war congress possesses many means of preserving it by conciliation but the sword was not placed in their hand to preserve it by force why did the message thus leap at one bound without necessary connection or coherence from the discussion of executive to those of legislative powers why waste words over doubtful theories when there was pressing need to suggest practical amendments to the statute whose real or imaginary defects mr buchanan had pointed out why indulge in lamentations over the remote possibility that congress might violate the constitution when the occasion demanded only prompt preventive orders from the executive to arrest the actual threatened violation of law by charleston mobs why talk of war against states when the duty of the hour was the exercise of acknowledged authority against insurrectionary citizens the issue and argument were wholly false and irrelevant no state had yet seceded execute such laws of the united states as were in acknowledged vigor and disunion would be impossible buchanan needed only to do what he afterwards so truthfully asserted lincoln had done but through his inaction and still more through his declared want of either power or right to act disunion gained two important advantages the influence of the executive voice upon public opinion and especially upon congress and the substantial pledge of the administration that it would lay no straw in the path of peacefulness organized measures to bring about state secession the central dogma of the message that while a state has no right to secede the union has no right to coerce has been universally condemned as a paradox the popular estimate of mr buchanan's proposition and arguments was forcibly presented at the time by a jesting criticism attributed to mr seward Quote, i think said the new york senator that the president has conclusively proved two things one that no state has the right to secede unless it wishes to and two that it is the president's duty to enforce the laws unless somebody opposes him no less damaging was the explanation put upon his language by his political friends the recognized organ of the administration said quote, mr buchanan has increased the displeasure of the lincoln party by his repudiation of the coercion theory and his firm refusal to permit a resort to force as a means of preventing the secession of a sovereign state nor were intelligent lookers-on in foreign lands less severe in their judgment Quote, mr buchanan's message said the london times a month later has been a greater blow to the american people than all the rant of the georgian governor or the ordinances of the charleston convention the president has dissipated the idea that the states which elected him constitute one people End quote. End of chapter 14.
End of section 22. The President's Message.